Welcome to Executive Tools, Responding to a Crisis, Part 2. This cast answers these questions. What's the executive playbook for responding to a crisis? What's the first thing to do in a crisis? What do I say when asked to communicate in a crisis? Well, if you want answers to these questions and more, keep listening. Here we go. Last time we talked about, you know, responding to a crisis, the first thing you have to do is gather all the facts, right? Even though you may want to go communicate immediately oh, and say yeah. something, you got to stop, take a beat, take a beat. I'm trying to see my vocabulary Listen to you. modern these days. Take a beat, hot minute. Yeah, I'm good with that. Stuff there you now. go. So take a beat, uh, gather all the facts before communicating. And then once you've gathered the facts, the first step is to get those facts out. Yeah. And too many people, I've said it probably four or five times already, they've, they've conflate the two got to get the facts out yes but they focus on the out and not the facts so let's assume that we've gotten all the facts we have a version of what happened now in a crisis things are changing people are poor providers of information people are poor listeners to information and so you're not going to know unless there's video which there rarely is you're not going to know what actually happened. In fact, speaking of video, there's a great body of knowledge which is best categorized or best summarized by the guy in court who's saying, here's the way a crime happened. I saw it myself, eyewitness testimony. And then they show a video which clearly shows that's not what happened. And he looks right at the prosecutor and says, well, that, that video is wrong. And because people are bad, that's why the only evidence left that's incontrovertible is DNA. It used to be DNA and eyewitness. It's not anymore. And so you won't really truly know, but you will have a version of the facts that you will say, this is what we're going to say happened. That sounds very cynical, but if you weren't there, you cannot know. So once you get all those things together, once you have your version, what you're going to call your knowledge, then it, you're right. It's time to communicate. Now, now, not before, is the time where you start thinking about exactly what you're going to say, what words you're going to use, okay? As a general rule, this can be very simple, although it sometimes turns into, in my experience, it turns into a mission or vision or values drafting statement where everyone thinks they ought to have input on every single word. And in my experience, when it comes to drafting communications, the best possible way to do that is to start with a draft that an individual creates. And if you are the leader, unless you're a terrible communicator, and I would doubt seriously that you would be put in this situation, if you are, you should come up with a draft. If you're one of those people at the table, you should come up with a draft. Once you know everything has happened, just start writing and say what it is you would say. Yeah. To be clear, I, I think maybe in my younger self, I would have, I would have missed this, is when you say, figure out every single word you're going to say, you mean exactly that, that this is not, yes. I have an idea, I have an outline in my head, and then I'm going to go talk. This is literally, I'm going to write down every word that I'm going to say, and then I'm going to use those words, and I'm not going to... <laughs> I'm not going to go off topic. I'm not yeah. going to I'm not going to just say something off the cuff. I'm going to stick to the words I write. Well, the beauty of that, by the way, is if you do it that way as opposed to the other, 
you will be much more likely when you get asked questions to say, I don't have any comment about that. We don't know about that. We're still researching this. Sorry, I can't comment on that yet. Because you will have had a scripted answer and you you will understand the risk of going off script. And, you know, I'm always amazed when I see a press conference occur and people are with me and I'm talking about it, having been involved in many press conferences. And I say, well, that question was planted. And they say, how do you know? I said, because that's too easy a first question. Now, they're probably going to get a private follow-up question later with attribution to some senior official, and that's solid gold in a reporter's in the, in, in the, in the press's mind. But you're going to get nothing but adversarial questions. And the people who are, whose job it is to adversar- ask adversarial questions are good at it. And they will encourage you to go off script and say something 10% different than what you said before and then 10 more percent different. Right. And that's when the trouble starts, right? Exactly. Yeah. So you're absolutely right. You only say what you intended to say and what you say is what you wrote. Now, the other side of the coin is if you play fast and loose, if or let's not call it fast and loose. Some people would say, I'm not playing fast and loose. I'm just a natural born communicator. And so they just sort of wing it. Now you are of the mindset that you can continue to wing it. But the winging that you already did was based on information you have, but now you're going to get people asking you questions based on information they, they have, or they're going to assume some information not in evidence and ask you questions that are hypothetical, and you, you're going to have to defend a hypothetical, a non-existent hypothetical. Because you've already started with this idea that you'll get up there and you'll dazzle them. Yeah, you have to. Or do you accede the point, right? Yes, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. And all you have to do is watch any White House press briefing to see that reporters don't mean to particularly embarrass the, the press secretary, but they want him or her to be on their heels. And good press secretaries never are in part because they've said what they're going to say. Now, if you've got a com- communications expert on the team, now's the time to lean on them, okay? Help you craft every word of your statement that you make to your organization or or to the public. But I would recommend you draft it first or you have somebody not the communications expert draft it for you. Not legal, not HR because we're one of the things we're going to talk about is the importance of your brand versus the law and legal will, would have you say nothing. Say, well, why, why would you say, you know, we, I can't comment on a, on a matter that, you know, may be going to trial or something like that. So have a draft that you show to the communication communications expert that might change this, that, or the other thing to make it sound more believable, more hu- humble, more um, professional, whatever the case might be. Now, look, what most people do in this situation is they try to spin it. They say, okay, I'm going to tell our story when in fact they know things that are deleterious to the organization. Some of what you've learned is going to be, let's just assume it. Let's, I mean, it's a crisis, right? Some of what you learned is not going to be flattering to your organization. Don't be afraid to share both the good and bad. Do not only communicate the good. And remember something, we talked about get all the facts first. 
Facts are neither good or bad. They're just facts. Communicate all the facts. Why? There will be people who will say, no, we can't say that. That makes us look bad. Well, first of all, you already look bad. And what you want to avoid is stopping looking bad. If you only share the good and then somebody brings up later something that was bad that it would be reasonable for you to have known, you have now essentially perjured your reputation. You have said, I'm only going to tell you the good stuff and nobody's going to listen to you. In other words, your reputation for probity, for ethic, ethical behavior is gone. You're only, you're, you're a, a mouthpiece. You're only going to say good things and they'll understand that and they'll cover you. But nobody will believe you. And of course, now people will say, well, there's more facts out there. They know them. We don't. Let's go find them. And then they'll start paying people to find those things out. And thanks to cell phones, I just got to tell you, it's going to get found out. Okay. Now, there are going to be people on the team that say only the good, but they're wrong. Again, people will release facts that you haven't and your reputation is going to be hurt. Yeah, I mentioned the word probity. It's a word I love. The definition of probity is adherence to the highest principles and ideas, ideals. If you don't meet that kind of standard, you're going to be seen as a cover-up. And, you know, the old saying in Washington, the only thing worse than the crime is the cover-up. It's always the cover-up. That's the problem. People think that breaking into an opposing campaign's offices in the Watergate building in the 1970s was the problem. No, it wasn't that. It was the cover-up afterwards. Okay, so after you get all the facts, not the story, and there will be people who want to tell a story, but you want facts first before you start considering whether or not you're going to release facts or consider telling a story. Now it's time to use every method of communication available to you. Get the facts to as many people as fast as you possibly can. And again, this is where a comms expert would be helpful. What methods do you use? Who is that likely to reach? How many times are we going to provide it? Who are we reaching with these techniques? Who are we not reaching? I just had a conversation just uh, late last week with a longtime licensee whose uh, company is in a crisis because uh, a senior official has been caught doing illicit things. And in the course of the events, they have resigned. But I made the point that there are three different constituencies that this particular company has to reach, and that is suppliers, customers, and employees. Now, you might say, well, what about, what about the public? Well, it's a private company. And so public, maybe not so much. But what's your strategy for talking to customers? What's your strategy for talking to employees? And all too often, communications experts are about PR. They're about public relations. They're about talking to the public. That may be an important leg of your tripod or your table or whatever, but don't exclude customers, suppliers, employees, and something else. When you are using a public relations person and you're trying to get in front of microphones and get in front of cameras and, and get coverage to have a, an opposing viewpoint after the bad news has already been spilled. It's natural to think about broadcast. That's essentially what a microphone allows you to do. That's what the media allows you to do. That's why it's called broadcast media. But you don't have to adopt that technique internally in your company or with customers or with suppliers. 
There is already an existing structure in your company that can reach every single person in the company. And I am not talking about email. I'm talking about managers. There's an existing structure that talks to customers. It's your sales force. There's an existing structure that talks about suppliers, and that's a supply chain management system. This isn't hard. You identify who needs to be told, and you notify who's going to tell them what it is we're going to say. And then they tell them, and then they report back on the commentary that was made. So you can find out whether or not your first or second bite of the apple is doing its job. What I'm always amazed about is there's a, there's a press release put out. Everybody focuses on the press release. But then what is communicated to internally in the company is a press release. Well, that press release was written for the public but not for manager to employee. And if in fact the crisis is going to cause retention problems, the relationship most likely to influence that retention is the manager and the direct. To tell the manager to read a speech, a, a, a statement that was written for TV journalists is ludicrous. Mm -hmm. There has to be different thinking for that. It almost never happens. Plus, when you put broadcast stuff out, it's like talking to an empty room. Yeah, you're going to get questions, but those questions aren't necessarily from the people that matter to you. They're from the journalists, but they're not necessarily from customers, let's say. Yeah. If your customers and your employees and your suppliers are okay, you're probably going to be fine. Even if the news media doesn't like what they're hearing or what they're thinking. Right. And if they're not okay, it'd be really useful to know why they're not okay and be able to respond to that. Yeah. Right? And, and, and the point is, you don't, in these cases of suppliers and customers and employees and potentially a board or something like that, but not even the board really, in those three very large constituencies, you have relationships with all of them. The organization has relationships with all of them. With every single customer, there is somebody responsible yeah. for that customer. I remember there's a great United Airlines commercial from, this is 25 years ago, and it's a bunch of people in a meeting and it's, it's old. And so it's a meeting in a factory in a glass walled conference room in a factory. And it's not one of these modern advertisements or commercials where everybody looks pretty. They look like business people. They look like people that are working as opposed to models. And the guy who's in charge says, folks, I got a call today from our longest client. And he says, he's going to take his business elsewhere. And he says, you know, he calls and he gets voicemail and then we call him back and get voicemail and then we send a fax and he responds with the fax and he says he doesn't know us anymore. And I'm tired of that and we're going to do something about it. Folks, we're going to go to every single customer of ours. We're going to meet them face to face, talk to them about their needs and reacquaint ourselves with them. And one of the guys says, but Norm or whoever the guy's name is, so, that must be 500 customers. He says, yep. That's right. We're going. All of a sudden, the guy's secretary starts passing out packets, the old printed airline tickets with what clearly looked like 20 or 30 tickets in a packet for each of the people. And then somebody asked, well, Norm, where are you going? He has a ticket in his pocket. He says, I'm going to try to win back that customer. In other words, that sales force exists to have relationship with the customers. Tell your sales force, here's who your customers are. Here's what we want said, and we want you to pay attention to what they say back. Customers will respond differently than employees, which might respond differently than suppliers. Yeah. 
If you don't have good relationships, you might want to yeah. start now before the crisis. This is when it really pays off. Yeah, and I'm belaboring this point, and I'm sorry, but people think only about broadcast media, and they don't realize for suppliers and employees and customers, there is a reliable feedback mechanism built in there. When managers talk to each of their people, so directors talk to senior directors, talk to directors, directors talk to managers, managers talk to their individual contributors, and you pay attention to what is said. And then you write a note back saying, hey, boss, you asked me to talk to all six of my directs. I did. There were three comments made all in the same vein X. And then suddenly somebody at the top realizes, oh my gosh, we wrote this public relations thing for the public. And in fact, we got a different problem with employees. That's right. Okay, so let's let's go to the next the next point. Now, I, I think probably some people respond to negatively, perhaps to the idea that we're going to go out and tell them all the facts to include all the bad the bad ones, the ones that cast the company in a bad light. Right. So if they had problem with that, uh, I suspect they'll have even more problems with your next point, which is to actually take responsibility. Yeah. As opposed to justify your actions or other yeah, things you sure, could do justify. that are not taking responsibility. Oh, yeah. When pe- and when people say things like, I apologize if I offended one. Hey, tool, that's <laughs> not an apology, okay? Yeah, as if it's your problem, you took it poorly. <laughs> if Yeah, if I offended you, I apologize. Meaning only a small percentage, the wackos out there, you know, they, they got offended. And so I'm going to apologize to them. So if you're the spokesperson, you have to be willing to take responsibility for those actions and results, good and bad, that your firm owns, right? I'm responsible for things I do that are good. And obviously on my resume, I want to tell you about things I do good, but I've done things that didn't turn out well, and I'm responsible for those outputs too. And there will be people around you who will argue for parsing the truth for guarding the company, for shading things to your advantage. The lawyer's first among them, and they're doing their job and more power to them. But they're wrong. This is not a resume. You're not trying to present yourself in the best light. You're trying to own the narrative and to be the one spokesperson, the one source of information that is full and complete and honest. If you do that, a friend of mine that was on a, a group that I helped in a situation like this many years ago said, it's a race to the bottom. Go all the way to the bottom, find out every dirty, nasty thing that happened, and then say that. And then nobody can beat you. And it proves in a minute how honest and forthright you're willing to be, that you are willing to scour yourself, to scourge yourself, to say, no, we did these things and these things are wrong. And the reason people are wrong in parsing or guarding or shading things is the company's reputation and brand is far more important in the long run than the legal consequences of taking responsibility. And the fact is, in many cases, the legal responsibility, lawyers would like it to be zero and they're right to want it to be zero, but Take it from zero to one when the top score could be 10,000. Taking it from zero to one is absolutely reasonable if in the process, the reputation risk to the company goes from 100 down to two or three, something like that. And look, we want you to be aware of your liability and there should be a lawyer at the table, but not at the expense of the reputation of the company. We've said it before, you only need to do 
a cursory search of crisis responses to come across a lesson that the cover-up is worse than the crime, a la the story about Watergate. And everyone thinks Watergate. People don't even realize, why is it Watergate? Because that was the hotel that the office was in. It's still there, by the way. It's very, very nice. I think it's condos now. Um, Lawyers are good. They're necessary. They're critical to have on your team. But if the lawyers start telling you to shade what you say or only share part of the story, your reputation will be damaged, and so will your ability to have any influence on this story going forward. And here's a word to the wise, okay? If a lawyer from corporate comes down, that lawyer from corporate may be under the mistaken impression that you're not their client. In other words, that the company is the client, or the CEO is the client, or the general counsel, the GC, is their client. That would be silly, but they would think of their boss as the client. And so they may not share something with you, okay? Well, they're wrong. If you're the spokesperson for the company, you are the company. This is why we've talked, this is one of those outcomes of organizational theory and practice that is so important that nobody seems to know anymore, which is managers, your role power is the ability to speak for the company to those people in your organization. If they then say, you're no longer a manager, you're now the spokesperson for this company-wide incident, you are the company. That person is now your lawyer, not your personal lawyer, but your lawyer representing you and the company. And so you, you, I've done it before. Ask the lawyer point blank. Is there anything, you know, that you're not telling me? And if you're going to think about attorney client privilege, be very careful because I'm your client. Now you'd say, no, no, you're not the CEO or the board is my client. Well, then I need a different lawyer down here because that's not how this works. If I'm going to speak for the company, I am the company. I'm not going to speak for the company and have a lawyer paid for the comp- by the company to know things that will affect my ability to protect the reputation of the company. That's a conflict of interest for you, sir or ma'am, and you need to go somewhere else. And if I don't have a lawyer, that's fine. But the next call I'm going to make is going to be to the general counsel. Yeah, I, I've always been very lucky. I, any corporate lawyer that assisted me in, in anything always had the right attitude in terms of their relationship with me. I just, I feel very fortunate because I've talked to so many people who have, who have not had that experience and it's, it's just great. Yeah. And I hope folks, I hope Mike's not saying that because I'm being too hard on lawyers because as we said, a lawyer is a necessary critical part of the team here. I thought you were going to be worse by saying a necessary evil. Yeah, like, no. no, no. I, thought, I thought you might be going there. Oh, no, HR's God. not in this discussion. No, I'm kidding. That's an old 20-year-old dark mark there. Yeah, I mean, they're important. But the reason I covered it is because if you're named the spokesperson of the team, you probably still think you're just a manager. You're just a junior executive. You're not. Okay, you are now the face of the company, which makes you the company. What you are saying, the company is saying. And that makes you the company, and that makes you the client. Okay, Mark, let's stop there and continue. Apparently, responding to a crisis is, there's, there's a little bit involved. So we'll stop here, and we'll finish this up um, next time. Next time.